Father, we wish to sit at your feet and learn from you. We thank you that you are a God of grace, a God of compassion, one who forgives sins, one who does not judge us according to those sins as long as we ask for your forgiveness. You are such a great God, Lord, and there is none like you. You are the one that put the stars in the heavens and created the earth and all life that teems in the oceans and on the land and in the air. And so we recognize your lordship over all creation, and we ask, Lord, that you would teach us, fill us full your Holy Spirit and with knowledge to be able to walk in a way that is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 35, we left off in verse 1 there, talking about the Sabbath. And the Lord was reminding the Israelites of the Sabbath that they needed to keep it because they had some work coming up. And this idea that we can be so involved in the tasks that are at hand, we decide we are going to not violate, but we're just not going to keep the Sabbath, so to speak. And the idea of Sabbath keeping We don't, as Christians, keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath is on Saturday. For the Jew, it runs from Friday dusk until Saturday dusk. We meet on Sunday. But the idea of rest, we need to be taking rest. But the Lord does not penalize us if there's something that needs to be done. But if we are just flippantly saying about the Sabbath, ah, not today, so to speak. And again, we call it the Sabbath. I'm just going to call it church. You know, if we keep church as something like, "Ah, I can take it or leave it, I think the Lord wants us to observe it. Uh, If we can, you know, there may be times that we can't, but if we are able, certainly let's take the opportunity to do so. And so God reminded the Israelites of this before he got into these other items that are in chapter 35. Now, I mentioned these last week. There is the Sabbath, the sacrifice, the service, the servants, and the skilled. And we already covered the Sabbath, but now we're getting into the sacrifice. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Now this is a command, right? Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skin, dyed red, and hides of sea cows. Acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incenses, and ox stones, and onks stones, and other gems to be mounted on the ephah and the breastplate. Now, if you remember months ago when we started Exodus, we had pictures for you of what the tabernacle looked like in the wilderness, and what the breastplate looked like, and what the garments for the high priest looked like, and the ephah, and the turban, and... Everything that he had in the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, we showed you the temple courtyard area and the linen that hung there and the blue, purple, and scarlet gate that was there. It wasn't really a gate. It was just linen hanging down. And the first thing that you approach there is the altar, and you have the laver for the washing. And before you go into the tabernacle area, you were to be cleansed if you were the priest. And there was, of course, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and he could only go into the Holy of Holies. And it certainly wasn't much to look at. And I showed you a picture a couple of times of what this mock-up that they have today in Israel in the Valley of Timnah, what it looks like. And it's nothing much to look at. You look at it and you go, 
That's it. That's where God dwells. Is like in a tent. And sea cow hides probably on the outside. There's some debate as to what kind of hides. But if, and I mentioned back then that if you remember the old chamois, the sheepskin chamois, how those would look over time. You know, how they would weather. That's the outside of this tabernacle. And you'd look at it and go, hey, hey, God dwells in a tent of skins. You know, it's, you'd think it would be this just palatial environment like Solomon's temple, but it wasn't. It was something that was humble and meek. And of course, it all pointed to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ being the light of the world, having the lampstand inside. And that's what had the light for the inside of the um, holy place, not the most holy place. The holy place, most holy place was completely dark on the inside. And you couldn't really see anything. It was so dim in there. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, you had Aaron's rod, you had a jar of manna, and you had the Ten Commandments in there. And that thing was heavy, and it was burdensome to carry, and it was the job of the priests to carry it on their shoulders. And since the law was inside of that, ark that was constructed and they had to carry it on their shoulders and by the way i think i remember explaining to you that the rings were on the bottom of this ark that had a solid gold top and if you put the rings on the bottom and you run the rods through there that are supposed to be permanently affixed it makes the top heaviness very difficult to deal with when you're carrying it If the rings were at the top of the box, it would be much easier to carry it. And so it was symbolizing the law that was inside that was a burden to be carried by the priest. And it was always to be carried. I gave you one story where the Philistines had captured the ark and they put it in the temple of Dagon there. And the next morning when they woke up, when the Philistines had it, the statue of Dagon, it's a man's body with a fish head. It was fallen to the ground. And so they said, oi vey. And they got in there and they picked it up and they set it upright. Well, the next morning they came in and his head was knocked off, this item of stone, and his hands were broken off. And so they said, we have to get rid of this thing. And they got tumors because they held on to it and they wanted to give it back. And when they brought it back, it was on a cart and some Somebody was trying to keep it upright. I think those are the same stories. He tried to keep it upright and God smote him because, killed him because that ark was supposed to be carried and the law was burdensome and they were not to forget that. Where we are under grace, we are not under the law and so we are not under that burden. And so they were putting together everything that was necessary to make this ark of the covenant, to make the tabernacle in general to set the priest up to have the incense to have the sacrifices the lambs the bullocks whatever would have to be sacrificed and it's all spelled out both in exodus and also in deuteronomy and leviticus you have these things that are being done so that's what's taking place and it was commanded that the whole company of the israelites were to take part in giving an offering now a key word in chapter 35 is willing or willingness. You see it several different times. Actually, I'm going to give you that now. It is, I was going to give it to you at the end, but I want to give it to you now. Let's see. Going through. It's a long message, by the way. Verse 5. Everyone who is willing. Look at verse 20. 
It says, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord. Verse 22, and all who were willing in verse 26, and all the women who were willing in verse 29, all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings. And so this chapter deals with the will. And it, it focuses on the question, as you see, we go through these different things, the Sabbath, the sacrifice, the service, the servants, and the skilled, as you look at these things, anybody who was going to be involved had to be involved willingly. If they weren't willing to do it, God didn't want it. God didn't want their participation. He didn't want the offering. He didn't want their goods. He didn't want their gold, the silver, the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. He would just say, keep it. And so the people, the Israelites, they responded greatly. I mean, it came to the point where Moses said, okay, that's enough. We have enough gold and silver. Could you imagine anybody doing that today? We have enough gold and silver. We don't need any more. And they only needed it for the service of the tabernacle that was in the wilderness. And so this offering was to be made. Now with this, how do we take what they were commanded to do and willingly so God said, I want this taking place, but you have to be willing. How do we transfer that to us today when it comes to this offering. Well, it's, it's the time where I talk about giving. And you say, oh, great. Yeah, whenever I go, I'm visiting the church today, and whenever they, I visit a church, they talk about giving, right? Now, you notice that we do not receive an offering. Uh, and I want to explain why uh, we don't do that. When we started the church, we started receiving offerings. And we wanted to make sure we said receive and we wouldn't let anybody get up and say, we're going to take an offering today. Because it, it has the implication of, we're going to take arms up, give us your money. You know, we're, we're not going to take your money. You have to be willing to give it. And so we had passed the bags and we'd play a song and we'd do it like most other churches. And then as we got involved in ministry, in the, it was in the first two years, I would see that there were some churches, they never received an offering. And I thought, well, how do they do that? You know, you got to have money to operate, right? I mean, the Lord commands that people give, and then the, the pastor and anybody who's on staff, it's commanded that they're supposed to receive their income from the work that they do. And, you know, what about all this? And I thought to myself, you know, if the Lord really wants this to survive, it takes it out of my hands. I don't have to sit there and tell you guys, Okay, we're going to take an offering today, dig deep. And we could have had, as I've mentioned in the past, we could have had the brass trays with no felt in the bottom. So when anybody put change in it, it would tink, you know. And, and then it, I've heard some stories about this where, you know, they have these uh, church manuals, these church uh, catalogs. And you can order all these things from church catalogs. And you have the trays and some with felt in it and some without felt, and they're on a long stick because they don't trust the people to grab the tray. And so the deacons will come up and down the aisles and they'll hold the stick way out and they'll put it in front of every person. And of course, if change is in there and there's no felt, all they have to do is shake it a little bit and kind of embarrass the person and then bring it across. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of techniques that you can use, right? And, and I didn't want to have any part of that. And if this was going to survive if this was not of me i wanted the lord to have a hand in it and so we made agape boxes we threw them up in a couple of places in the church and we said okay 
This is between you and God. It took the responsibility off of me and it put it on you guys. And so when you come here, if you feel, if you are willing and you want to give something to the ministry, you write out your check or you put it in an envelope or you just drop cash in and we'll leave it between you and the Lord. And when it comes to the recording of that, there's only one person that records it here. And when that one person does it, they've been praying, Lord, let me forget And apparently it's been working. They forget. And we try to limit the number of people who handle the funds because we don't want everybody to know what everybody else gives. It's just common sense. And so even when the letters go out to you, we encourage whoever is signing the letter to cover the name and just write. Because the person already filled out the letter that you might receive if you want something to come back. So we want it to be as anonymous as possible. And that is so great because now it's a relationship that you have with God. Now, you can walk around and go to another church and uh, you can say, they're not as good as our church. They don't, they don't not take an offering or they take an offering. And ours is so much better. It's a faith ministry. You know, and we don't want to do that either. If the Lord has called a church to do that, praise the Lord. If he's called them not to do that, well, praise the Lord. And we did that two years after getting into the ministry. And now we've been here, we're going on our 26th year. And so the Lord has decided he wants it to survive. And he has moved upon your hearts to do that. And that's great. And people have been blessed. People have gotten saved. And there have been people in the church that have gone before you that have given of their monies and their efforts. And you are receiving the blessing of those who have not been here. There's not one single person left in the church except for Patty and I who were here at the beginning. Every once in a while, Rick will show up, but he lives in Kearney Mesa, and he was here at the beginning when we started the very first day, and we started over at El Capitan High School, one room, $10 per week per Sunday. You know, and it was... Wow, we got 50 bucks a week. You know, it's just a great ministry starting out. And then we progressed and we ended up coming here after two or three moves. And so it's a faith ministry and it's based upon you guys having a walk with God. And so if we're failing, if I'm failing at instilling in you what it is to be a mature Christian, it's going to be reflected in what you give. And so I don't have January as our stewardship month where I preach about giving all month long and I do not pass out pledge cards uh, that you'll promise to give this through the year. We support one missionary that they want us to send a letter saying we will support, you know, and I, I stiffen up against that. Like that's not how we operate. As long as the Lord survives, you know, we're going to give you the money and that's how we're going to do it. And if the Lord wants us to pull it back, we're going to pull it back. We want to do exactly what the Lord wants us to do. So this idea of tithing and giving, it comes up and you need to be knowledgeable about it. You need to know how to handle it. Uh, originally also I was offended when I was just a non-pastor I would go to these churches and they would take two or three offerings and it it would just make the hair stand up on the back of my neck and I'd want to stand up in the pew and I would just want to yell out heretics you know something like that I I would I just hated it. I couldn't stand it. Like, oh, yeah, this is missionary month, and we got to take a a special offering for missionaries, and now we have to take another offering. I've heard it that they've taken up to three offerings in one service. And that 
that makes my blood flow. And so if somebody can't survive on what God gives them in one offering, I don't know that they should be surviving at all because how much is it of the person that's pumping the people to give and how much is it of God that's moving on the hearts of the people? So that's just our philosophy. That's how we operate. I don't want to be too critical of a ministry that doesn't do that because God calls every particular minister to a particular calling and that's all well and good and I pray that there are more churches. But when it comes to tithing and giving, I want to give you some stats and then some information on this. Tithers make up only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. That means most people who come to church do not give anything. They just come to church and they receive the benefit and they pay nothing. And when I say pay, they they don't give anything. That person, when they get to heaven, when they get the reward, the reward, it's like Job says, I'll get into heaven by the skin of my teeth. How much skin on your teeth is there? There's not much. So you get to heaven, you go, where's my reward? And you go, ah, you're in heaven. Uh, that's all you get. You know, and, and it's like the investing thing. And some of the televangelists, they misuse that. They use that to pump the people, to put them in a place of guilt or saying, you're going to get something if you do that. And it's true. You're going to get something. But they will use it in such a way, you'll get it now. Where doesn't the Lord say, the poor you'll have with you always? That means some of us are destined to be poor, some poorer than others, for all of history. The poor are never going to leave this earth until the Lord comes back. Then everybody will be rich. And so tithers, most people do not give. And it is something that I believe is a blight on the Christian community. We are all to be givers. And when I talk about giving, I'm not talking about just time. I'm talking about cold, hard cash, baby. That's what it works out to. It's just cold, hard cash. And I, I don't want to mince words. I want to make sure that you understand exactly what the Lord's will is in, is in this. And we have a board that watches over what's being spent. I don't write any checks. If there were times where I would write checks. And if I need to write a check, I'm going to write a check. If that's what the Lord wants me to do. But for the most part, it's out of my hands. I have nothing to do with the finances. And if something is spent, like uh, uh, last Last week, Dustin, you asked me, so what's the $16 on the visa bill? <laughs> right? <laughs> and I said, well, uh, that was uh, for an audiobook. I bought an audiobook, and I thought he said 1600 And I, 16, no, I didn't make that purchase. That's not what I did, you know. So I'm explaining to him what I did, and it's an audiobook. And then Daryl goes, but it's a third party. You know, Daryl's sitting there. He's at, it's a third party. What are you talking? 16 bucks. Where'd it go? You know, and I'm saying, well, wait, I went to this website and it said either PayPal or Amazon. And I paid with Amazon. You know, it's a third party. So I'm, I'm giving an account of 16 bucks, you know, where 16 bucks needs to go. And, and so that's, that's how we are with the money here. And Chuck Smith, he told us, be as frugal as you can. You want to squeak when you walk when it comes to the money. But there's other times that the Lord may just say, give and give abundantly. You know, and if he says to do that, we're going to do that. And so we want to be known as those who give. 
We all receive something, and we need to be giving something back to the Lord. And if you think I'm lining my pockets with that, I'm not. If I have four or five houses, and I have a jet, and the Lord's going to take me home, if I can't raise $8 million, and it's time for me to retire, it's time for me to just move out. I'm not in this for the money, and whoever is, they need their head examined. You know, you, you don't want to do this for the money, so to speak. Now, going on, it's not surprising, some other facts here. The fact that the poor give far greater portion of their income than the rich. Now, years ago, USA recorded this, that the families earning less than $10,000 give 5.5% of their income to charity, not necessarily to the church. And families earning between 50000 and 60000 give only 1.7% of their earnings. That means in $100, you give $1.70 to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying you. When I say you, I include me, it's us, it's the church in general. So please don't misunderstand. If, if, if there's a time during this message that you feel guilty, that may be a good thing. If you're feeling guilty and you're already given, that's a bad thing. Uh, you don't want to experience the guilt from the Holy Spirit, the prodding of him, and misread what it is. You want to make sure that you're comfortable in your own skin, walking with the Lord in this area the way that you're supposed to be, all of us. Also, this idea of 10%, you've heard that, right? 10% is the amount. And you get that from the Old Testament. The Old Testament was not 10%. The Old Testament giving was 23 and a third percent. So whatever you made, you're supposed to give 23 and a third percent. That means out of $100, you were to give $23.33 if you were a good Jew, if you're a good Israelite and you're walking in the ways of the Lord. Now, this is how it's worked itself out. The tithing, the first tithe was to be received from all the people on their produce of the soil. Which means if you were growing wheat, you were supposed to take 10% of that wheat in that field, bundle it up, package it up, bale it up, take it to the priest, and give it to the priest. Because the priests, they did not have land, the Levites, they did not have land like everybody else. They were the ones that were separated apart from the Lord, and each of the communities, each of the tribes had to have certain cities designated for the Levites that they could live in. But they did not have land themselves. They were separated to the Lord as unto him. And from those Levites that they, they would receive an income, they were supposed to give 10% to Aaron and the priestly family. So whatever they received, 10% from the people, they were to take a 10% of that and give it to Aaron and his descendants, who were the high priests. Now those guys became extremely wealthy. Because when you have millions of people doing that, there's a lot of money and there's only a few priests. And so if you're in the family, it's like the royal family, so to speak. But they were supposed to be the servants of the people. Well, they ended up being these power brokers that controlled everything in Israel. And that's why God condemned them. That's why Jesus did. So the second tithe was to be applied to festival purposes. You were supposed to give 10% to support the festivals. When you went to the festival, you're supposed to take another 10%. And then the third tithe was to be given every third year, and it was for the Levites or the priests specifically, and the poor. You are not to neglect the poor, 
nor the Levites. And so that added up to a total of 23 and a third percent. So if somebody says, are you tithing? You're really asking, are you giving 23 and a third percent of your income? And that's not what, I don't know how many people do that. There's only a few that I've met in my life that give away most of their money. And they only keep a little bit. And I think those are the people that God gives them the gift of giving. Because God just keeps on pouring money to them. And they just keep on shelling it out. And some people say, well, I want the gift of giving. But it means you can't keep the money. You have to be able to just pass it on to others. And there are people that do that. They give away 90% and they only keep 10%. And the misconception is God owns 10% of my money and I own 90%. That's not the way we look at it. God owns 100%. And if he ever tells you give 100%, You're probably going to think to yourself, I'm out of my mind. God wouldn't tell me to do that. What about the widow's mite? Remember? She had two pennies. That's all she had. And she gave 100% of her income. And God looked at her willingness to do that and declared her righteous because of her willingness, not the amount of the gift. So it's not the amount that is important. It's the willingness that we have. And of course, that is the word of the day for chapter 35. Now, I do have a lot of scripture references on this, but I don't want to take up a lot of time with this. I want to make sure I can get through it. Now, also, on top of this 23 and a third percent, there was a free will offering. And the free will offering could be any amount. It could be anything that you just decide, okay, I'm giving this to God, to the tabernacle or to the temple just because you felt moved to do so. And it's, it's not required. It's a free will offering. But at some point, maybe there's a call where, hey, you know, we need a little extra cash in the tabernacle or in the temple or in the church. And you just say, okay, I'm going to be given that. If there's a call out to maybe we need to support somebody, like one Christmas there was a family that was pretty destitute and we don't receive an offering, but we pass the bags that one Christmas. And we gave all the money uh, to the one individual. And it was a blessing to them. And that would have been considered a free will offering that you just, on top of what you give regularly, you give something else to those who are in need. And God will bless you for that. And he sends that on ahead, so to speak. You get reward for doing that in heaven. That is true. And then before the law came with Moses, Abraham paid a, a tithe to Melchizedek. In Genesis chapter 14, if you remember that story when we were in the book of Genesis, Abraham in his pre-law time gave a tithe to Melchizedek. And some people say, well, Melchizedek was Jesus Christ. I don't know if he was or not. I don't think he was. But he was a representative of God, just like Jesus Christ is a representative of God. That's for sure. And he's talked about in Hebrews and also in the book of Genesis. And so Abraham gave him a tithe. He gave him 10%. And that tithe is 10%. It's not 23 and a third percent. This is pre-law. And also Jacob said, if you will be with me and bring me back into this land, then I will give you a tenth of all that I possess. And so Jacob also was a tither. He gave 10% back to God. And you might say, well, what was around back then? Who were the priests? God had his own priesthood and his own style of worship back pre-law. Abraham was an altar builder. Melchizedek was there. He was actually the king of Salem, which is Jerusalem. 
God had his priest there, his king there at that time. God has always had his people that have done his bidding as priests, as intercessors, as those who need to be ministered to. It is not just the law of Moses. It goes all the way back to Adam. Adam was considered a priest in his household, and he taught his children how to sacrifice and bring those sacrifices to God. So it's always been the case. Every since there have been human beings here, it has been incumbent upon the human race after the fall to be giving back to God. Now, under the law, the redeemed, if you redeemed a tithe, like, for instance, if the tithe was 23 and a third percent, and you said, you know, I just don't have enough to make it this month. I need to hold back a little from the temple, and I, I need to pay some bills off. You know, the mortgage is coming due, and I'm going to be in trouble. If I don't do that, I'm going to be evicted. And the Lord says, fine, you can do that, but you're going to owe me 20% more. And so, yeah. And so you had to go back and add to the 23 and a third percent of whatever you gave another 20% on top of that because you were delinquent in your funds. And do you think they checked up on you? I'll, I'll bet these priests were very diligent in doing this, making sure, kind of like the Mormon religion. They do that now. Matter of fact, if you're not a giver in the Mormon religion, you don't get into the highest heaven. I mean, if you don't give enough money, that's it. You're not getting there. That's not the case. You get to heaven if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You just may not have the reward. Instead, and I'm going to speak metaphorically. Instead of having the Tesla, you're going to have a tricycle. I mean, that, that's going to be the difference. And it's not going to be a Tesla, and it's not going to be a tricycle. It will be some reward, and it's probably going to be immaterial. But it's going to be some reward that God's going to bless you with because you have been so faithful. And how long are we here? We are here just a whisper. We are only a mist that is passing through, and we are there for all of eternity. What we do here determines how we are rewarded for all of eternity. So, see, we kind of have a motivation to be in line. And I'm not just preaching to you guys. I'm preaching to myself because I get the same reward or non-reward if I follow this instruction as well. I'm just bringing this information to you. And so there are rewards for giving, and specifically in the Old Testament, for tithing. In the Old Testament, tithing in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, <clears throat> it talked about robbing God in verse 8. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, How do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the very floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for for yours will be delightful. Now, just for a moment, imagine every Christian was faithful to give regularly and give generously. What would the world look like if that was the case? How many people would be saved? How many people would be blessed? How many hospitals would be built? How many ruined families might be restored because the church is supposed to be a funnel for those funds reaching out to people i mean if imagine if we had unlimited funds would you go to the places in the world that don't have wells that need water would you drill those wells there are communities that do that there are uh, um, communities of churches believers and parachurch organizations that do that the world would be a different place if churches people in the churches gave regularly 
and they gave generously. It would be unbelievable. Would there be corruption inside the church? Yes, there would be corruption. And would God deal with that? Yes, he will deal with that. Ever so severely. And that's a warning to anybody in ministry. Do not be taking the money for yourself to make yourself rich. And I can guarantee you those televangelists that are doing that, it's not going to be pretty when they get to heaven, if they get to heaven at all. The Lord is going to judge them, be it ever so severely, for lining their own pockets and making their lives comfortable at the expense of the people in the church. Now, we are told not to put the Lord in the test. Also, in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 4, this deals with, uh, you know, tithing with mint, dill, and cumin. The priests were very diligent about that. If you guys have any herbs that you grow in little pots. They were so diligent. If they would do that, then they would look at the plant and go, okay, what's 10% of the plant? And they would take 10% of their marjoram, they would package it, and then they would take it to the temple. And they were diligent to do that because they thought, breaking the law, if you didn't do that, you wanted to make sure you did that. But Jesus condemned them because they forgot justice and mercy and faithfulness. And he said, you ought to practice the former without, or the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, be diligent like that. Get the 10% of the marjoram and take it. But don't forget those other things because those are the more important things, right? So he says, do it all. And he chastised the Pharisees for not doing that. So giving, we're to be givers. In Luke chapter 6, verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you in a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And so this idea of giving, God's going to pay us back. He's going to pay us back more than we've ever sown. It's kind of like if you have... 10 corn kernels, how many plants of corn can you get? 10. How many ears of corn might they produce? Hundreds of times more than what is sown. God is going to do that with us. And so we get so hung up on the money, you know, and by the way, just a note, if there's an issue with money in your life when it comes to giving, there's a spiritual condition that has a problem in your life. It is not where it's supposed to be. If you are greedy, that by the way, that is one of the things listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, and also in Galatians chapter 5, that if you are greedy with your money, you are not saved. Did you hear that? It says that those who think that they are saved, if they are greedy, do not deceive yourself. You will not get into the kingdom of heaven. They are put on the same level as the person who is the adulterer, the person who is the homosexual, the person who is the thief, the person who is the murderer. If you think you can be a Christian and be greedy, God says, nope, you haven't had the transformation take place in your life that needs to take place. And so if somebody is a quote-unquote, and I can say this because I have a Jewish background, is a miser, a miser was somebody who was really greedy with their money. God says we're supposed to be just liberal with our giving whenever the opportunity presents itself to us. We're not supposed to be fools in that way, but we're supposed to use wisdom. So how are we to give? 
I'm going to go through several steps here. I'm just going to read them to you. I'm not going to give you the scripture references. If you want to do a Bible study on it, maybe I'll, I'll just read them to you. You can do a Bible study on it. Giving should be done willingly and according to your ability. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So if you don't have a lot and the willingness is there and you give some, God says, it's acceptable. If you are unwilling and you have a lot, no matter what you give, God says, it's not acceptable. I don't want it. Just keep it. Keep your money. I don't need your money. Because after all, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? Secondly, give or giving should never be done in order to get something from God. Bargaining. When I first became a Christian, I did this. Okay, God, if I give you this, will you grant me this over here? I'll be a good Christian. Okay? We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to just give and watch it take flight and just go away and go, okay, that's it. It's done. What's next? And you turn to the next thing and you don't worry about it. You don't say, what are you going to give me, God, if I get something? And that's where the televangelist got it wrong. They say, write your faith check and put it up here on the altar. A thousand dollars. Just imagine what that'll turn around for you in this life. (laughs) Sorry, got carried away there. (laughs) Number three, our giving should be directed towards God primarily. Now, when you say that, it means to the church It doesn't mean outside the church, the place where you primarily get fed, and it should be a local church, whether you are here in years or not, wherever you go, wherever you receive your spiritual feeding, that's the primary place we are to be giving is to the church. Anything else above that would be considered a free will offering that you would give to anybody else or any other ministry or any other institution that might be out there. It says, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops, which means when you first get it in, you write the check first or you deposit the money first and you say, I have all these bills. This is where faith comes in. God's not going to let you starve. Now, if you're lacking wisdom on your spending habits, he's going to let you fall into trouble, right? But if you're doing it the way you're supposed to, I believe God provides me with enough money to survive. He provides you all with enough money to survive. And he provides the church with enough money to survive. If we're mismanaging it, something's up. There's going to be a problem somewhere and we don't want to mismanage it, right? Then going on. Our giving should be directed towards men, number four, which means if you have somebody that is in need and you see them in need, you're supposed to give them directly the money. You shouldn't be coming to the church going, I think the church ought to help out this family. No, you do it. If you see somebody in need, you take care of it. But, you know, it's my money. Exactly. The Lord gave you the money to help somebody out. And so if you need to help somebody out, and remember, use wisdom. I'm going to give you a little story. Over two decades ago, as a church, we helped out a family at Christmas time, right? They didn't have anything. And then we found out later for Christmas, they bought each other several hundred dollars worth of bikes for each other. It's like, I don't think that's a good idea. You know, people who take advantage of the church, because we thought they were really in need, and they were, and they were constantly in need. But when we found that out, it's like, Okay, so you went and just bought something else and became more indebted and you're continuing the problem and we probably shouldn't have helped them out in that way because you don't want to stop the process of somebody going through a trial. We have a tendency to interrupt that. If we just give money without using wisdom, 
we can keep them perpetually in the state that they are. That's why I'm perplexed with homeless. There are times where the Lord tells me, give. But most of the time, I'm just like, I don't want to perpetuate your lifestyle for you. I want you to be in need. Even the scripture says the man who will not work will not eat. It also says that a thing that drives a man is his hunger. And so if he's hungry, he's going to do something to get some money to buy some food. And so I'm perplexed with that. I'm just telling you my own personal thing. It's like if the Lord tells me, just give, give. But most of the time, I know it may be me. I'm just going, get a job. You know, I have this, this thing of mercy. I don't know what it is. But I can tell when somebody's just working it. Because I'll see them on a particular corner all the time. They're just working it. Like, don't even. I'm not even going to look at you when you walk by, you know. And I, in Christian love, I'm not going to look at you. <laughs> and so we all deal with that, right? I need to get through this. We should never give under compulsion. In other words, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. I should never put you under a guilt trip that you feel you have to give. Or if you're going, the offering's coming, we can snack a record. And you're grumbling like Popeye underneath your voice. You know, you're just, just keep it. Just don't give it. Just keep it. You want to do it cheerfully. It, it's called hilariously. That's the word that's used in Scripture. So when it's time to give, you're like, <laughs> that's how you're supposed to give, that type of way. Then we're supposed to give sacrificially. And, and this is where it costs you something. God doesn't want, like King David in the Old Testament, you know, he wanted to sacrifice. He was taking a census of the fighting men and he was doing wrong in the eyes of the Lord. And he was supposed to give something or he was not supposed to take the census. And he wanted to buy a threshing floor from Aruna. And Aruna said, you can have it, my king. And he goes, no, I will not give to the Lord something that costs me nothing. And so it cost him something in order to give. In other words, we have to give up something. And that's the life of Christ. You know, we're supposed to be sacrificial in our giving. In other words, we give up something to give to God. That's the measure of how we're to give. Then also we're supposed to give systematically. You know, bills flow in. You know in your household, they flow in regularly, right? If it's water, if it's groceries, whatever it is, those don't go away. They just keep on coming. Well, same thing with the church. Same thing with the missionaries that we support. If there, there have been times in the past where we've cut back, we said, we don't have enough to give the missionaries this month, but we've always made it up. If we've gone a couple of months, we go, well, we got to get this to the missionaries. And then they go, wow. We just say, hey, that was our regular amount. We just hadn't been able to give it for a couple of months. We, they just keep on coming around. And so if we lack in the giving here to the church, the missionaries lack. And if the missionaries lack, well, the work lacks. You see how it's all connected. Also, when we give to the Lord, he credits our account in heaven. Philippians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says this. Now that, not that I'm looking f- for a gift when he is asking them to give, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. So God credits to our account in heaven when we give money. Also, when we give, it is pleasing to God. God is thrilled. It's called a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. And also, as we give, we need to trust in the Lord's provision because there's going to be times where the Lord's going to test you, where you think you should give something, but you know you have this bill that comes up. And not this bill, but you have a bill that comes up. (laughs) 
and you know it's going to come due and you got to pay that thing. And, and so the Lord's going to say, well, have you been managing your money well? Are, are you diligent in that? And should you withhold that? And if you want to bump back to the Old Testament, well, you might as well add another 20% to that if you think you're a tither. And you see how it works? The Lord is pleased with that and he wants you to establish a regular habit just like he wants us to be in the word. He wants us to be in prayer. He wants us to go to church. He wants us, we are past our time. We have communion here. Uh, That is, okay, I'm going to pick this up next week. But we have communion to receive. Those are the points I wanted to give you. But when it comes to giving, we want to make sure that we are just doing it as unto the Lord. And all of those things, if you can write those down or if you did, listen, didn't listen to the message and get them. But what we're going to do at this time, we're going to be a little bit past. If you want to tell the Sunday school, sorry, it's Pastor Bill's fault. We're going over a few minutes. Uh, we're going to receive communion. So if you guys want to come up and the worship team wants to come up, I'm going to explain communion after it's passed out. But we're going to sing a, a song if you ladies would come up. And then uh, you guys come on forward and we'll pass this out and we'll receive communion and I'll explain it as we do.